This is XN Anderson. Welcome to the Principal Podcast. Here's my question for you. If you could choose between reading the words of Jesus himself or just reading the words of someone else who was talking or writing about Jesus, which would you choose? There are many around the world who've written many good and worthy things about Jesus. Um, many things that are preached about Jesus are good and true. Some things written about Jesus are false. And even some have things that are that have truth mixed with lies. And these are perhaps the hardest to discern because lies are strengthened when truth is mixed in with them. When trying to discern the truth, it may be helpful to remember that Jesus said, I am the way, the truth, and the life. Doesn't it make sense to go to the truth himself and read his actual words? And maybe, you know, the purpose of my podcast today is to help reinforce in both myself and those listening today to seek out and read and feast on the actual words of Jesus Christ himself, and even to prefer his actual words over any other words. Um, I am intrigued by the Sermon on the Mount, as it was the first sermon that Jesus gave. It was his opening sermon. I'm intrigued because when the Savior decided to give his first actual sermon to the world, he could have possibly said a million different things, but he didn't. He said just a few key things, three short chapters, Matthew 5, 6, and 7. And depending on how you count it, there's, you might count it differently. It, uh, but the way, the way I see it, I think there's roughly between 25 and 32 things that Jesus chose in his very first sermon, the Sermon on the Mount, to emphasize. And think about it. We celebrate, we celebrate Christmas where Jesus was born in the stable. Um, he, he, he arrived as prophesied. And for the next three decades or so, we have very little information. And then around 30 or so years later, this baby who's born in a stable, now a man, starts to deliver his message. Now, he said few, there was a few things that happened before this. We know a little bit about him growing up. But when he had an actual opportunity to speak, he decided to share what I think are about 25 to 32 things or so. And it would seem to me that if I'm trying to follow Jesus Christ, it would be very important to learn what these 25 to 32 things are, to internalize them, and then try with all my might to follow them. So, do I know what they are? And if not, why don't I know them? And I've got to warn you, his words in his first sermon are hard. They're super hard. In fact, C.S. Lewis said this about the Sermon on the Mount. He said, as to caring for the Sermon on the Mount, if caring for means liking or enjoying, I suppose no one cares for it. Who can like being knocked flat on his face by a sledgehammer? I can hardly imagine a more deadly spiritual condition than that of the man who can read that passage with tranquil pleasure. This is indeed to be at ease in Zion. Here's the next scary thing that perhaps could knock me flat on my face as I read it, kind of like a flat a sledgehammer, like C.S. Lewis said. After telling us to do some very hard things, at the very end, Jesus says this, Therefore, whosoever heareth these sayings of mine and doeth them, I will liken him unto a wise man, which built his house upon a rock. 
And the rain descended and the floods came and the winds blew and beat upon that house and it fell not for it was founded upon a rock. And everyone that heareth these sayings of mine and doeth them not shall be likened unto a foolish man, which built his house upon the sand. And the rain descended and the floods came and the winds blew and beat upon that house and it fell. Now he says this right at the end of the Sermon on the Mount. So he's not talking about some vague thing about, hey, you just need to go to church. You just need to do this or whatever. He's talking about the things he just said. He said, whosoever heareth these sayings of mine. So what are these sayings? these sayings of mine that he just said, what are they? Now, let's just start with one. I'm going to tell you one of my failures. I'm going to let you know how I am building my house on the sand instead of the rock. And I'll start with just one of the 25 to 32 things. Here's one of the things that he said. He said, and why beholdest thou the moat that is in thy brother's eye? but considerest not the beam that is in thine own eye. Or how will they say to thy brother, let me pull the moat out of thine eye and behold, a beam is in thine own eye. Thou hypocrite, first cast the beam out of thine own eye, and then shalt thou see clearly to cast the moat out of thy brother's eye. For me, this hits like a sledgehammer, like C.S. Lewis said. And I've got to tell you, I have heard these words again and again. I've heard them in church. I've heard them in Sunday school. I've heard them at home. I've even heard myself say the words right now on this podcast. And yet, despite hearing them, I often don't do them. And because of that, per the Savior's own words, I'm building my house on the sand. Now, I looked up the word to behold and found that it means to see. So if I were to translate the Savior's words into a bit more modern vernacular, I might say, why do you even see the moat? I'm really good at seeing the moats in others' eyes. And when I see the weaknesses of others, it could be even people in my family, my spouse or my children or politicians I don't like. Or, or when I do these things, I am literally hearing the Savior's words and then doing them not. Thus, I'm building my house on the sand. Stephen Covey said the same thing, but used different words. He said, every time you think the problem is out there, that very thought is the problem. Again, personally, I hear these things and oftentimes I do them not. I'm a sinner and I need a savior. Now, I've just shared with you one out of the 25 to 32 things. There are a bunch of things that I could share. You know, here's some other things that he that Jesus chose to emphasize in the sermon. He chose to emphasize doing things for the right reason. Like you can, is it possible to, that you can do the right things but do them for the wrong reason? And Jesus Christ thinks you could. Like, let me give you an example. If you're praying to be seen of men, like I'm, I'm going to pray so I can look like I'm wise. He says, pray in secret, and your Father which seeth in secret shall so reward thee openly. He says. Don't go around and brag about your fasting. Fast and don't let anyone know. Giving alms in secret rather to be seen of men. So there seems to be this common theme throughout the Sermon on the Mount that we're going to do the right thing, but not to be seen. We're going to do the right thing because it's the right thing. Now, to do things in secret and making sure that we're not doing it, like 
only we know what our internal motivation is. I think God knows it too, but am I doing this to be seen so that I can get recognition of men and the world, or am I doing it because it's the right thing to do? When we do it in secret, our heavenly father will reward us openly. Now, when we, if we read Matthew 5, 6, and 7, we hear those words, we read them, and we don't do it, we're building on the sand. If, we're not, if we can do them, gosh, it's hard, we're building on the rock. He says, Jesus said that our righteousness has to be more than the scribes and Pharisees. And these were people who many people thought were very righteous, but maybe appeared to be righteous, but really weren't. And that if we taught anyone to break even the smallest commandment, we would be called least in the kingdom of heaven. He said that if we wanted to bring a gift to the altar, he said, leave your gift at the altar and make things right with those who have ought against you first. So make things right. Don't lay up for yourselves treasures on earth. Instead, lay up treasures in heaven. By the way, on that subject, C.S. Lewis said this, Christ said it was difficult for the rich to enter the kingdom of heaven, referring no doubt to riches in the ordinary sense. But I think it really covers riches in every sense. Good fortune, health, popularity, and all the things one one's wants to have. All these things tend, just as money tends, to make you feel independent of God. Because you have them, you are happy already and contented in this life. You don't want to turn away anything to anything more, and so you try to rest in a shadowy happiness as if it could last forever. But God wants to give you a real and eternal happiness. Consequently, he may have to take all these riches away from you. If he doesn't, you will go on relying on them. It sounds cruel, doesn't it? But I'm beginning to find out that what people call the cruel doctrines are really the kindest ones in the long run. I used to think it was cruel to say that troubles and sorrows were punishments, but I find in practice that when you're in trouble, the moment you regard it as punishment, it becomes easier to bear. If you think of this world as a place intended simply for our happiness, you find it quite intolerable. Think of it as a place of training and correction, and it's not so bad. End quote from C.S. Lewis. These are hard words. Seek, don't seek for, for treasures on earth. Seek for treasures in heaven. Seven, it's impossible to serve two masters. Let your eye be single, meaning with sincere and without guile, which will fill our body with light. Conversely, being insincere and guileful makes our whole body full of darkness. So our reason, again, our reasons, our motivation, it's important. If you seek the kingdom of God, all things will be added unto you. And then he gave us the golden rule. And this is a big deal. He says, whatsoever you would that men should do to you, do you even so to them. And then added, on this hang all the law and the prophets. We're to enter in at the straight gate. And many that go that way, there will be many that go in the broad way to destruction. And there will be just a few that find them the narrow way. He taught us the Lord's Prayer which by the way, tells us that we are offered forgiveness only as we forgive others. This is a hard one for me. It tells us to resist not evil, to turn the other cheek. If someone asks, asks for our coat to give them our coat also. And it tells us to love our enemies and bless them that curse us, do good to them that despitefully use us and persecute us. This is what he says, interestingly. He says, you know, you've heard that it hath been said, thou shalt love thy neighbor and hate thine enemy. But I say unto you, love your enemies, bless them that curse you, 
do good to them that hate you and pray for them, which despitefully use you and persecute you that ye may be the children of your father, which is in heaven for he maketh his son to rise on the evil and on the good and sendeth rain on the just and on the unjust. For if ye love them, which love you, what reward have ye do not even the publicans the same. And if ye salute your brethren only, what do ye more than others? Do not even the publicans so? Be ye therefore perfect, even as your Father which is in heaven is perfect. My opinion is I've heard sometimes uh, people take this scripture about being perfect and kind of take it out of context. For, for me, it almost sounds like it's the last sentence to that paragraph where he's basically saying, you know, Heavenly Father loves you, whether you're good or evil. He sends rain on the just and the unjust. If you only love people who love you back, if you just salute people who salute you back. What are you different than anyone else? He's the, and then at the very end, he says, be therefore perfect, even as your father in, in heaven is perfect. And he's referencing kind of the, how a perfect God loves, sends rain on the just and the unjust. So loving our enemies, which I think is a hard thing to do, is building our our house on the on the rock, whereas choosing to hate our enemies is building it on the sand. He said a bunch of other things. He's, he told us to beware of false prophets. And in other words, to, to look at the fruits of people who say they're prophets so we can judge whether they're false or not. He even added that many at the, at the last day would say, Lord, Lord, and wonder why they weren't being let in even though they had thought they'd done many wonderful works and prophesied in his name, only be only to be told at the end of the world that the Savior didn't know them or, or they him. And again, at the very end, he said, if you hear these words and you do them, your house will stand when the flood comes. If you hear it and you don't do it, your house won't stand. For my house to stand, I need to stop seeing the moats in others' eyes. I need to control my feelings and not be angry. I need to love my enemies. I need to pray for my enemies and bless them that curse me. If I don't do these things, I'm literally building on the sand. Now, I'm going to fast forward to one of the last things Jesus said that we have a record of um, while he was alive in the Eastern, you know, in, in the Jerusalem area, Israel area. When the son of man shall come in his glory and all the holy angels with him, then he shall sit upon the throne of his glory and behold, and before him shall be gathered all nations and he shall separate them from one from another as a shepherd divideth his sheep from the goats. And he shall set the sheep on his right hand, but the goats on the left. Then shall the king say unto them on his right hand, come, ye blessed of my father, inherit the kingdom prepared for you from the foundation of the world. For I was unhungered. And you gave me meat. I was thirsty and you gave me drink. I was a stranger and you took me in naked and you clothed me. I was sick and you visited me. I was in prison and you came unto me. Then shall the righteous answer him saying, Lord, when saw we thee and hungered and fed thee or thirsty and gave thee drink? When saw we thee a stranger and took thee in or naked and clothed thee? Or when saw we thee sick or in prison and came unto thee? And the king shall answer and say unto them, Verily I say unto you, Inasmuch as you have done it unto one of the least of these, my brethren, you have done it unto me. And then shall he say unto them on the left hand, depart from me. He cursed into everlasting fire, prepared for the devil and his angels. For I was in hunger, and ye gave me no meat. 
I was thirsty and you gave me no drink. I was a stranger and you took me not in, naked and you clothed me not, sick and in prison and you visited me not. Then shall they also answer him, saying, Lord, when saw we thee in hunger or thirst or a stranger or naked or sick or in prison and did not minister unto thee? And then shall he answer them, saying, Verily I say unto you, inasmuch as ye did it not unto the least of these, ye did it not to me. And these shall go away into everlasting punishment, but the righteous into, into life eternal. You know, one of the people who I think is really awesome at doing this in history, Mother Teresa, she loved the poor so much. I read an article that said she she liked to grasp people's hands and say, you did it to me. And when, when you do anything to anybody, you did it to the Savior. Um, she basically saw Jesus in disguise in every single person. So you know that homeless person at the end of the freeway ramp when you're driving? Jesus in disguise. Now, the words I've said here aren't intended to make you feel comfortable. And by the way, C.S. Lewis said this. He said, if you want a religion to make you feel really comfortable, I certainly don't recommend Christianity. Christianity is not going to make us feel comfortable. I'm going to quote another thing from, from uh, C.S. Lewis. He said, imagine yourself as a living house. God comes in to rebuild that house. At first, perhaps you can understand what he's doing. He's getting the drains right and stopping the leaks in the roof and so on. You knew those jobs needed doing and so you're not surprised. But presently, he starts knocking the house about in a way that hurts abominably and does not seem to make any sense. What on earth is he up to? The explanation is that he's building quite a different house from the one you thought of. Throwing out a new wing here, putting on an extra floor there, running up towers, making courtyards. You thought you were being made into a decent little cottage, but he's building a palace. He intends to come and live it in himself. I truly believe that there's a God who loves us, who knows us. And that even the pains we have in life that seem like they don't make any sense. Christ can help them make sense. And perhaps as God who knows everything, those pains eventually will be understood. They're building you into something better than you thought you could make yourself. This is Xane. Thanks for joining me on the Principal Podcast. I am so jealous of my wife because she gets the ultimate career. She gets to train and nurture and love our children more than I get to because I have to be doing things like this podcast. Parenting is the ultimate career. If you like what you heard today, please like, subscribe, comment, leave a review. Thank you for listening. You can also check out my book, What I Want My Children to Know Before I Die. It's available on Amazon and other bookstores. Thanks again for listening. <laughs>